welcome to another episode of the Life Plus God podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Robinson, and today my special guest is no other than Reverend Daniel Humbert. Welcome back, Daniel. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. It's been a while. We kind of took a long, <laughs> yeah, a long break. Yeah, I'm not going to take that personal or anything. No, of course not. <laughs> Everybody is so excited to hear from you again. Sure, Especially yeah. with the topic that we're yeah. addressing today. Because, the fun topic. Oh my gosh. So our big question today is how can we process evil? Mm. I think that we all have this um, complication in life where we are doing our best to live into this Christian walk, but we see evil happening all around us. And some of us are affected personally by it. Some of us are just a fly on the wall, seeing it in other people's lives. We're seeing it on the news. Yep. And how do we process all of this? And and how does it play into our faith? So we're going to have an in-depth conversation around the topic of evil and, okay. and what it means for our faith journeys. Well, let's have some fun. Yeah. So, so I want to start with <laughs> You know, we are United Methodists. Are we? We are. Okay. Uh, in case listeners didn't know, we are we in are. Flower Mound, Texas, Treach Memorial United Methodist Church. There and you so, go. first, I'd like to get a little bit of an understanding on what the UMC believes about evil and is it written into our doctrine or theology anywhere? Yeah, that's a great question. And the simple short answer is no, it's not, a, we don't have a doctrinal stance much like we do for who is Jesus and who is God and who, what is the Trinity and all that kind of stuff. It's not in our articles of faith or confessions, uh, but we do clearly have a, a, I guess you'd call it a stance, I don't know, but it, it's tied directly to our baptismal vows. Uh, anytime somebody gets baptized, whether infant or adult, uh, either they, the adult, or children's parents ask or answer the question, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world? And that's a pretty strong question, right? Yeah. And that question is directly related to some kind of understanding that there are spiritual forces of wickedness in the world, right? Something that's beyond human capacity and that there's clearly evil in the world. And so are you going to reject those evil powers? And as you mentioned, you know, at the top of the deal, um, evil sometimes feels quite powerful and it feels quite uh, oppressive sometimes, right? And then a second question that, that we ask people to respond to is, um, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice and oppression. So clearly we believe evil exists and clearly we believe it's uh, eminent out there, that it's a part of the world, that it's in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we believe it, ha it takes two forms. One is spiritual and one is human. That is to say that, that in our humanity, we've got evil within us or we perpetrate evil, I guess is a better way to say that. Mm. So it, it feels like there's an acknowledgement of evil, that we can agree that evil exists in us and among us. Um, how would you define evil? Like when we're talking about wickedness or spiritual evil or evil forces, what? let's put some context around what you're referring to. Yeah, I mean, uh, at its most core or simple level, evil is the absence of good, right? It's anytime we're not... Um, sort of emulating what it is God intended for us, 
then we're we're at the cusp of either evil literally or certainly if we perpetrate things that are inhumane or against humanity or against people then we're 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 perpetrating evil that's what we mean so on a, a more personal side what is it that you believe about evil and evil's role in this world well, first of all, I believe it's real. We encounter it every day, right? I mean, uh, what Hamas has done uh, recently in Israel to the, both uh, the Israelis and Palestinians is, um, you know, atrocious, and that's evil because it's it's killing people innocently, right? Um, we see it in human trafficking. We see it in everyday behavior of uh, when people are mean-spirited to folks or clearly mistreat human beings, right? Slavery was clearly an evil. Uh, racism is an evil, right? So there are sort of um, uh, systemic evil, that we, that's most of which is what I just talked about, or there are just personal acts of evil, right? Murder or even theft, for instance, or... Um, uh, treating people without respect or regard for their humanity, right? Those are all forms of evil. And um, those forms of evil all come from our humanity. They all come from our sinful nature. That is to say, the part of us that um, we can't quite grasp hold of why we do things, mm-hmm. and yet sometimes we do them. Well, what do, what do you believe around, like, you talked about spiritual evil. So like the human evil is easier for us to see and understand because we're human Uh, and we're like, okay, I can see the thought process or the motivation or whatever it is, whatever got you here. Maybe I can relate to it or some way or understand it. Spiritual evil, it makes me think of demons, Mm -hmm. Satan, the devil, you know, the personification of evil. Right. What is it? Yeah. How how do we process that? Well, it's hard, pure and simple. I mean, uh, I, I, I can only, I'll just speak for myself. I think I represent a lot of Christians, but um, I find it hard to comprehend and process what that looks like and what it, how it takes shape. And for a couple of reasons for me personally, uh, uh, for instance, uh, in Scripture, uh, we'll just take Satan. In, in the Old Testament, there's a different representation of Satan. We look at Job, for instance, and there's this quote-unquote, you know, sort of playful position called Hasatan that uh, literally plays with Job, and God seems to approve it and almost encourage it, right? And you're like, golly, what, what is that? And how do we, how do we, but that's a role played, not a person specifically. Then we get to the New Testament, and it appears that um, theology and understanding of uh, some kind of personification of evil seems to change, and there, be, there seems to be a, a, a person or an entity called Satan. And certainly in the New Testament, there's references to devil. And and man, it just gets complicated because there are certain texts in, in the Gospels, for instance, like Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, right? And we can look at those and say, well, so there must be somebody uh, named the devil or some entity that seems beyond humanity. Uh, and yet one could also say, well, gosh, maybe that's metaphorical and maybe that represents evil, right? Mm-hmm. Then we have Jesus telling a parable in which he says that the devil causes people to do things. And so you go, well, Ellie, if Jesus says that, there must be something to it. And yet there are other texts where Jesus uses, like when you look at uh, John 6, 70, he literally says someone is like a devil. And so then you go, well, that, that's kind of a representation, right, or a position, much like Hasatan in Job. 
or like further in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to some people and talks about how um, their father is the devil. Well, I mean, that can't be literal. I, I, at least I wouldn't render that as literal. And so you get, you get kind of both images. You get a sense in which even Jesus himself identifies some kind of entity called the devil, and yet he also makes references to what seem to be like literal, I mean, a metaphorical or representations of evil. So mm-hmm. it gets confusing. And so in my own life, uh, most of my early Christian journey as an adolescent I believe there was a literal devil. I believe that somehow there was this personification of it. And then as I got older, I thought, golly, I, I don't think I can justify that in my mind and in my head and even in my heart that there could be evil that's equal, at least, that is, say, a, a, an, an evil entity like the devil or Satan that's equal in power in the bad, in the evil, to God, because mm-hmm. that's dualism, right? That's a sense of... Um, evil can't, at least in my belief, evil can't ever be as good as God. It can't, can't equal God. And so I couldn't believe in a devil or a Satan that was equal to God evilly. And yet I have to somehow, I come to grips spiritually that that part of our faith that I can't um, necessarily fully understand or fully uh, put my head around that there is some kind of spiritual forces of darkness, spiritual forces of evil that are beyond our human evilness. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. I just know that it exists, and I, I, I see it manifest in and through people sometimes. Because I would also say, I don't really understand how certain human acts of evil um, can simply be human... Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like, if you just kill people randomly, I mean, how can that even be a human thing, right? Yeah. It, uh, so I don't. I don't pretend to understand it. I just believe that there's something beyond us that's evil. Well, and I. Oh my gosh, it's so complicated because. I have the same, you know, as a child, you have the foundations of faith and it's the similar journey for most people of like, okay, Satan is a person. And then as you get older, you're like, "Mm, I got to use my education and my critical thinking and my logic to try to understand what this means. And then we under, we learn, you know, I watch a lot of crime docs. (laughs) I love them. True crime is my jam. And, um, learning about psychopaths and sociopaths right. and the brain chemistry and that these people do not think the same way that right. they, they lack empathy. Right. They don't understand. And so we sit here in our own minds trying to understand like, how can they commit these atrocities? How can they do right. this to so many people and feel nothing? Their brain is wired right. to do that. And then I'm like, why we're supposed to be created in the image of God. Why would someone be created that way? And right. I start spiraling. Right. And it, it it's the same with reading scripture. It's not just with the concept of evil. It's even with the concept, and, and I talked about this a little bit in our uh, previous episode that Gracie was a guest on, is trying reading stories about encounters with the divine as well. Mm-hmm. Trying to... And I trying to take experiences and it's almost like coming encounter, and this is going to get heady and philosophical and weird, but coming 
in contact with a sixth dimensional being Hmm. in the third dimension and then trying to put that into the construct of our human language. How can we deliver this information in a way that other people can get a glimpse? But again, it's just a glimpse. We, we will never have a full understanding of the divine. We will never have a full understanding of evil forces. Correct. And the, it, sometimes it feels like to me, scripture is just us seeing the reflection of God and trying to write down the glimpse that we saw. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I just think uh, clearly as United Methodists, we believe there are spiritual forces of wickedness. We would not make that a standard question for everybody who gets baptized unless we believe there are spiritual forces that are not right, that somehow are beyond our comprehension. And yet we also believe very strongly that most evil in the world is humanly created. And that that human creation starts with just our sinful nature. We are fallen, if you will, right? And so uh, the way that begins to take shape is through our own personal actions and behaviors. And that old adage that, you know, the devil made me do it. Uh, seems to me personally is kind of an eradication of responsibility, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a way to say, well, that's not me. It's really the devil making me do it, and so that for me personally causes additional consternation, right? Did did, did some outside force really make you do that, or mm-hmm. or is that just really abdicating your responsibility? So um, I struggle with it. I just I believe that it's there. I I don't like to focus on it, and I certainly can't claim that I fully get it. Yeah. If you don't like to focus on it, this is going to be a tough episode for you. Well, it already is. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, and it, 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 when you put it that way, it makes sense why we are trying to explain the creation of evil in the Genesis story and mm. the origins of evil. Sure. Because it does seem like a chicken or the egg type scenario of were we born evil or do we become evil? Because when you see a newborn baby just like in its absolute Mm. glow and innocence and beauty, I can't believe that there is evil in that child that already living in that child. But I believe as adults, we project that onto children in the way that we mistreat them or the way that we misbehave and Absolutely. they're learning from us. And so yeah. that I, I'd love to get your thoughts because in past episodes, you've brought up uh, that you believe in evil incarnate. Mm. And I would love to get uh, your perspective on that. And is, is that part of the equation of we are born evil or we become evil through... Yeah. Well, again, so this will become a little heady. So we're, we're, we're created good, right? Genesis tells us that, that we're created good. Uh, but then we, we take some issue via free will and that's a, you know, another point in just a minute, but it's the free will that says, Hey, I, I think I know better, or I want to do something different than what you're asking me to do, God, that that sort of promotes or promulgates the sense of being fallen or sinful. Not that we're evil by nature, because sin and evil are different. Mm -hmm. They are related, but they're different. Sin is the nature of who we are and and sort of uh, is a part of who we are. Evil becomes the way in which we live that sinful nature out. And so... um, 
you know, I, I can't believe, just like you can't believe, a, a, a newborn baby is evil. I do believe we're born into sin, but the way in which we live that determines how whether or not evil's going to take shape or not. Um, and so evil incarnate, well, I'll back up one more time. You know, the, the, the serpent that's described in the story for Adam and Eve, we have to assume God created that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if God created everything, then God created the serpent. And the serpent is not identified as evil. The serpent is identified as crafty, right? Um, and you can identify that in any number of ways. But it, I believe the serpent simply represents doubt, the, not, not evil, but doubt. That's what the serpent's role was, was to put doubt into Eve and Adam's uh, heart and mind. But as it comes to evil incarnate, what I mean by that is, I, I believe certain people just, they, they literally represent evil. Not that they themselves are evil, but the, the, the nature of who they are and the nature of the way in which they live their lives out. I'll give one simple example because it's, it's simple, but it had a profound impact on my own life. Several years ago in a church, I um, was challenged by my theology, but I, I believe God wants all people to know God's love, and I believe God wants to demonstrate love to everybody, no matter who they are. And this was at a small rural church, and uh, there were some people who took odds with that because they, they clearly didn't believe certain folks deserved God's love, and they made that abundantly clear. Hmm. Anyway, uh, the way that the evil began to manifest itself was they literally... Um, wrote my bishop, our bishop at the time, they wrote my district superintendent, and they uh, began to have secretive meetings in the life of the church to get me uh, disqualified from being a pastor. And so they would have these meetings uh, to literally figure out how can we get Daniel out of the ministry. Uh, They would come to church every Sunday, happy-go-lucky look on their face, greet me after worship, uh, and yet, you know, clandestinely conduct these secretive meetings. Uh, Fortunately, my bishop was supportive. My district superintendent was supportive. uh, And at one point after I discovered that these meetings were going on, uh, I took two actions. One was, uh, and one woman was leading it. That's the one woman was leading it, and her entire goal uh, was to get me discredited as a clergy person. Uh, one like Sunday, defrocked or right, what is it? To, to, okay. to remove my orders. Okay. She okay. wanted to remove my orders so that I could no longer be a United Methodist clergy. And uh, one Sunday after church, after I discovered that she was having these clandestine meetings, because it's one thing to disagree, right? It's a wholly other thing to literally go down every single potential path. Form a coup. Me, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. To, to have, have me defrocked. Anyway, one Sunday after church, as they're coming through the line, literally, they've been in worship, they've heard me proclaim, they've, they've sung songs and prayed and all that kind of stuff. As I'm shaking their hand, I literally said to her, you need to step into the light and get out of the darkness because the darkness is holding, grabbing hold of you. And she just kind of looked at me, you know, and didn't know what to do with that statement. But the statement was, look, stop doing this evil stuff because it's just wrong. And then... Um, uh, I proceeded, they, they both were members of the church, and it's, it's a, a very rare, but a, a, um, a, a responsibility and an obligation of a, a United Methodist pastor that you have the authority to ask people to remove their membership. In other words, you can ask them to just leave the church. And so I did that, because I didn't have any other option, really. And uh, I, my district superintendent, they called a meeting. I, I literally had to... Um, sit before what I call an inquisition in the church. I literally one night from about 7 p.m. until after 11 p.m. 
sit in front of the entire congregation and answer theological question after theological question after theological question uh, to defend my understanding of the faith. And it all stemmed from this one woman who had created this whole atmosphere of doubt and fear and, and all that. And uh, I asked those, those members to leave, and they eventually did. But to me, that was a personification of evil. Nobody got hurt, right? Nobody died. Nobody was trafficked. Nobody was oppressed, if you will. But it was a representation to me that somebody was allowing evil to work in and through them to do everything at their disposal uh, to cause harm. Mm-hmm. That's a form of evil. Well, and then I take it a step further of like, you know, you say no one was oppressed, nobody caused harm, but then I start down, and I know it's unhealthy, this slippery slope path of like, well, if they're sowing this unrest in their own home church, how are they treating the people that they feel like don't deserve God's love Correct. outside of this church? Correct. So I, I do believe people were harmed. People were oppressed. Well yeah. Now that's speculation, but it it really is like when you see people's true colors show up in a place where they feel comfortable, what are they doing outside of that? Well, that's absolutely correct. And that's why even as simple as it sounded, you're absolutely right. Who knows what that kind of behavior, because she was always pleasant, uh, seemingly kind to me, um, uh, never once coming to me to yeah. say, hey, tell me what this is all about, but always going behind my back. It does feel a lot like the Genesis story of imagining the manipulation, the mm-hmm. mental gymnastics, everything that would have had to go into getting people to that side of not everyone deserves God's love right. when you proclaim Christ. How? How do you get to that point? Right. But people right. get to that point all the time. They we do. see it unfolding constantly. Correct. Um, and it's evil, see? And yeah. that's what, we, and as you rightfully point out, it's why we have to sort of be on guard because evil can creep without us really initially at least realizing it. Mm. How did you process that? And did it have any impact on your personal faith journey experiencing that? I mean, I won't bore you with all the details, but the two primary ways I processed it was with professional counseling uh, and spiritual uh, direction. Uh, And then, uh, and a part of that stemmed from, I literally questioned, should I be a pastor, right? Am am I really called to this? And this was, I forget, so this would have been around, um, I would have been around age 32 or 33, so I'm relatively new to ministry. And I just thought, maybe she's right. Maybe maybe this whole thing is a sham, right? So I processed it initially through doubt, and then I got professional help, and I also sought assistance from um, my the hierarchy of the church, my, my, super te- my supervisor and so forth. So mm-hmm. it was hard. I'm glad I went through it now in hindsight because it helped me learn how to process well or appropriately. And it helped me to know, you know, godly ministry is just going to be hard sometimes, and yeah. you're going to face evil sometimes. And sometimes it looks pretty normal. I mean, this was all normal, right? That is, say, in church from people who are supposedly followers of Jesus and yada, yada. It wasn't killing people and trafficking people, right? I mean, it just—and so— it, it helped me to be more on guard, if you mm-hmm. will. Well, and there are, you know, those things that you mentioned that 99% of people will agree 
this is evil and the trafficking, the mm. murder, the uh, abuse, all of that. Right. Uh, obviously, that is evil. Where the gray area of both good and evil come into play is what do you perceive to be evil? Because maybe in this sure. woman's eyes, she perceived that you were evil. Correct. And she felt like you were misrepresenting God. That's absolutely and, right. And so it, it, it gets... When we don't have a clear definition of what is evil, there are people who believe homosexuality is evil. There are people who believe that... I mean, you could go through a list of so many things that there are going to be disagreements on what is evil and what is not. And where I start to struggle with my faith in this process is when I encounter something I perceive to be evil, how do I address it as a Christ follower? Because for a lot of circumstances, forgiveness is not on the table Mm. and um, mercy not on the table. And where, where do we find the line between like following our faith of grace, mercy, forgiveness, and holding people accountable and not allowing them to harm others anymore. Yeah, well, so uh, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I happen to believe that mercy and forgiveness can be on the table. Oh, I was talking for me personally. It's something (laughs) I struggle with. Well, there you go. Okay, fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. Because... uh, it is what followers of Christ are called to, and it's it's some of the hardest stuff we have to do, right? I mean, a, a part of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, for instance, after he's gone through the Beatitudes and a couple of Christian behaviors, he, he gets into the hardest part, at least in my mind, uh, of uh, the Christian journey, which is how do you deal with your enemies? And I would maintain that a part of our enemies is anybody who perpetrates evil, right? And so, uh, and he says, we got to pray for them, we got to love them, even though we don't agree with them or appreciate them or approve of what they're doing. By God, that's hard, right? I mean, I, I can't say that I do it well. Uh, and yet, uh, we also encourage, uh, as a for instance, and we've seen some some examples of this here in Dallas and and certainly nationally, where you know, somebody was, one of somebody's family member was killed brutally, and one of the siblings or parents forgives the perpetrator, right? The murderer. They don't ever need to forget, right? That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. And certainly if an abuser, you know, uh, we, we would never forget that. In other words, we would never put ourselves back in that circumstance again, and we would never trust that person. But I do maintain, I think forgiveness can be possible but I just don't need to be in relationship with that person anymore, and I'm certainly not going to allow them to do that to me mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, but that's a part of the hard journey of faith and what that processing looks like. Um, I would encourage folks to read Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. It's the last couple of verses of chapter 5. It's, it's where Jesus talks about how we treat our enemies and how we're supposed to love people even when we don't care for them or certainly don't approve or appreciate what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah, and there it, it, it until you encounter it, it feels easy cuz you're like, well, I can there there's a difference between someone who is evil and someone I just don't care for. Sure. There are people that I just don't get along with, our personalities clash, and I'm like, yeah, sure, right. I can love that person. Right. But when you are specifically harmed by somebody mm. and it feels like it is an act of evil, right. it 
it complicates it. Absolutely, it does. It I, complicates yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I, I and agree with that. And it's easier said than done. It is. <laughs> scenario. It, it is. That's exactly right. Well, and with your example earlier, the end result was uh, asking for removal of membership mm-hmm. from that church. That's something I also struggle with because then did you have any. Uh, internal conflict about removing them from their church home? I mean, because that... Absolutely. Yeah, because we also don't want to do anything to impede someone else's faith journey, but when their journey is hurting other people on their faith journey, like, what what do you do? And see, that's where accountability and mercy and forgiveness uh, sort of collide. So the accountability was, you no longer have authority as a church member to conduct these meetings or to uh, have sway in churchwide decisions or um, participate in specific things that a, a member has the opportunity to. And yet... We can still love you and still honor the fact that you believe you're following Jesus. I'm just going to invite you to do that somewhere else, because mm-hmm. we all know there's a hundred other churches within 10 miles. But then right? I, I mean, feel the weight of, then you're sending an antagonist to another church, <laughs> you know? Like, sure, it's but, just musical churches. Well, I would agree with that, except that they went to a church that agreed with their their understanding of mm-hmm. Jesus's love, right? Um, a United Methodist Church was not going to be where they were. And a part of this irony, and I, I, we don't need to dwell on this anymore, was this woman had come into the life of the church by marrying a man who uh, had been a United Met- lifelong United Methodist. She had not. And so she didn't understand United Methodism. And she didn't understand the the sense in which we understand Scripture and the sense in which we understand God's love. And uh, And she became influential in his life, obviously, because she was his spouse. And, and that's where all of this stemmed from, was somebody who had no concept of United Methodism mm-hmm. and yet wanted to literally change an entire church and certainly a particular clergy person's life, right? Simply because she didn't understand. I wonder if that's what inspired membership classes. Of <laughs> time to, before you become a member, you've got to learn about the United Methodist Church and make sure that you agree with our theology and doctrines before right. you claim this. Right. Um, it is a part of my journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to see why we do what we do here. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the origins of evil, because I think that this is a big question that a lot of people have. Um, so we believe God is in the beginning, there was God Mm. and so God is the creator of all things. And it's, as you mentioned, well, you know, if there was the serpent, God created the serpent. Mm -hmm. So is the... Was evil created by God, or is evil the enemy of God, or none of the above, or all of the above? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't believe God created evil. I believe God created us, and I believe God created us good. Uh, But in our humanity, in other words, our frailty, um, we kind of fell short of what God's desire was. I think God designed us well all of us, but I think all of us fall short of that desire and design in our humanity. And this is where free will comes in, right? The garden story is all about free will. You know, the doctrine of free will is fascinating. The word or the concept is not anywhere in Scripture, right? Free will, just like the theological doctrine of the Trinity is not in Scripture, nor is the word. But by golly, one could argue, at least I hope we would, that the the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to Christianity, right? 
so is free will. And the story of the garden is that story, right? You can have anything you want, just one tree I'm asking you to hang around and stay away from. And uh, Adam and Eve both think, golly, this is, we, we know better or, or we think better, right? And so free will takes us down this path and it eventually leads to evil. And we will see in Genesis alone, a single book of scripture, multiple times where um, the world just humans sort of corrupted. I mean, we move from chapter three to chapter six, only three chapters later, where God says, I'm sorry, I created humanity. Mm. Right? I didn't am, take long. Right. <laughs> and so, and then the flood comes, right? And so it, 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 I believe evil saddens God. I believe evil um, uh, makes God uh, weep. And that's what some of those chapters describe is God's um, uh, sorrow at what is transpiring. Not that God created it, but that it's a natural outcome of who we are as humans. Mm. So if... Our free will is a contributor of evil. That makes sense for the human Mm. evil. Um, I'm wondering about your perspective on demons mentioned in Scripture, demonic possession. Oftentimes, you know, because I I want to be able to wrap my head around these things, but again, like my critical thinking and and logic, 2023 logic gets in the way. And so I've kind of not dismissed, but tried to look at demonic possession in scripture as a misunderstanding of mental illness, but also people still claim demonic possession is happening today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so what it, so we talked about Satan and the devil and all of that, but what about demons? Yeah. I think it's even less clear demons. Um, so I guess the short answer for me is, uh, just as I believe there are spiritual forces of wickedness, and whether that's a specific entity like Satan or the devil, then it must or might include demons, right? If there's a spiritual force out there that's beyond us, certainly we might could identify it as demons. Now, at the same time, there are some of those uh, gospel stories that when we look and read at, read them today, you go, man, that's just a that's just a misunderstanding or an antiquated understanding of what we now identify as mental health or mental disorder, right? Uh, and some of those are real clear, um, and yet at the same time, we see that people are not in some of the stories. People are not necessarily. Um, uh, some of them are described as an unclean spirit, right? It's not a demon, but an unclean spirit. And all that really means is it's a spiritual force that is not good. That's not necessarily a demon. That just means that somehow there's this entity or force that is not helping that person, an Mm -hmm. unclean spirit. What are your thoughts on exorcism and people exercising demons? Yeah, well, I have to just simply say, I believe it's possible. I've never experienced one. I've never seen one, never been a part of any of that. Uh, Do I believe that it can happen? Yes. Do I believe it's extremely rare? I do. I believe it's extremely rare. I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but... Uh, I it's another it's one possible. of those things happening in the sixth dimension that sure. we can't yeah. we can't get. Part of the spiritual realm is beyond our understanding, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So with 
God's plan and free will is the idea that evil is just a monkey wrench and God's plan just constantly upsetting the apple cart or is is evil incorporated into God's plan in some way? I don't think evil is a part of God's plan. First of all, God's plan um, simply and solely is to be in uh, what some would refer to as perfect relationship with the created order. That's mm-hmm. God's plan. And, you know, people put all kinds of other stuff onto that and identify all kinds of other things. So the kingdom of God that Jesus brought is God's plan. That's mm-hmm. God's plan, right? Uh, that doesn't consist of evil, doesn't have evil in it. In fact, it's quite opposed to evil. So again, it, it really is free will that creates the possibility of evil because it's mm-hmm. free will that gives us the choice of sin and that can eventually lead to evil. I We talk about God's plan a lot, but it's sounding like we have kind of not misrepresented, but maybe mis, I don't know, underexplained or God, what God's plan means. Cause it sounds more like what you're describing is God's goal for us is to be in perfect relationship with God. And oftentimes as humans, when we think of a plan, we're thinking of a roadmap of, or a timeline of this happens here and then this leads to that. And then this leads to that. And this is all part of the intricate details and plans because we like to know what's coming and we like, it gives us comfort to think, Oh, God knows what's going to happen. And this is all for a purpose. And that is the distinction between the two um, theological concepts of free will and predestination. In free will, God doesn't have a plan like you just described, where everything is laid out and, and God has th- you know things that are going to happen. And in predestination, on the other hand, kind of thinks that and believes that, and that that everything that you do is a part of what God preordained for you to do. Mm-hmm. United Methodists don't believe that. We believe in free will. And Christianity, generally speaking, is almost split, you know, 50-50 on that deal. So that's why there are many Christians who say, well, God's plan is that this and this and this will happen, and this is the way it's supposed to happen, and that's how it's going to work. But free will folks say, you know what, God does have an overarching plan, which Mm -hmm. is to be in this relationship with God and to bring about God's kingdom, that the garden was all about that, and Revelation actually brings it back. And when you read the very end of the book of Revelation, that's what that's about, is essentially to bring back the garden and bring back what it is God intended from the beginning. That's God's plan. Well, let's let's talk about the hopeful side, God's goal for us. Um, You've mentioned a few areas where Jesus spoke directly about or to evil. Mm. Um, What can we derive from what Jesus teaches us about how we can process the evil happening around us? Is this something that we are to uh, fight? Is this something that we are just supposed to learn to live with and find (laughs) our peace? Like, what is our relationship to evil and what does Jesus tell us? Yeah, so two things. I mean, one is, again, back to the kingdom. Jesus brings it and Jesus's desire is for us to help make it real or to come to full fruition. And so that is in direct opposition to evil. So basically he would say, these are my words, not Jesus's, but basically Jesus would say anything that's opposed to the kingdom we need to fight against or, or we need to process against because I don't, <laughs> fight is not the best terminology. Well, I'm ready to fight. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But then you also recognize uh, uh, Jesus is a Jew, and for Jews, uh, God's way, or the kingdom, God's way is always about justice, that is to say, righting the wrongs in the world. So whether that's systemic or whether that's individual, we must uh, fight, quite literally, to help make things right, just, mm-hmm. appropriate, right? But that's where that gray area comes in again of perceived evil is who decides what is just and unjust. Well, so scriptures kind of guide us real well into that, right? And so, again, you know, I can't lift it all up, but all of the prophets, and there's a bunch of those, right, would say that justice is about treating people with respect and helping them to know that they are valuable and helping them in their time of need, whatever that need is, whether it's food or clothing or water or whatever. And so the prophets are real clear about that. And then Jesus says, hey, I've come to fulfill both the law and the prophets. Well, by golly, the law, all 613 of those laws, while, we don't ha- while we're not constrained as Christians to all 613 laws, the whole purpose of those laws was to be in relationship with God perfectly and be in relationship with our neighbors, right? That's why Jesus summarized them, love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's the fulfillment of that law. There's not evil in that, right? If you love God with everything and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, there's no evil in that. And the same would be true with regard to justice. And so, and yet Jesus also says some, what I believe are kind of confusing things about it. Like he will say uh, in Luke chapter six, which is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, um, God's justice falls on both the evil and the good. And you're like, not Whoa. fair. Not fair. Right. <laughs> wow. And so how do you process that, right? Yeah. The other thing Jesus does that's a little confusing is, uh, you know, he'll call us in Matthew chapter 7, he'll call us evil, literally. He'll just sort of generically say, even though you are evil, you can do good things for your kids or offer good things to your children. That's one of those um, hyperboles, right? When Jesus says, you know, cut out your eye or cut off your hand, right? Hyperbole. When he calls in that particular point in Matthew 7, when he calls us evil, he's basically just saying, you're not as good as you should be, right? Mm-hmm. He's not literally saying every one of us is evil per se, but he's just saying you're not as good, you're not where you ought to be. But when you hear that, you're like, wow, okay, that's like a, a blanket deal, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know what I would do if a pastor shook my hand at the end of the service and said, there's darkness in you and you need to step into the light. Well, it would be jarring. It would be good because that's what it was intended right, to do. But, and it's the same thing with Jesus. We've heard the message of Jesus so many times that sometimes it becomes white noise yeah. over time. But to imagine yourself being in face to face with Jesus and saying, you need to step out of the darkness. Like I, it would be a jarring experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a part of what I would call the accountability for us, for those who perpetrate evil is we need to call it out. We need to call it what it is. We need to identify it as it is. And when you say it can be confusing, I mean, I I agree that it can be, but when we use uh, scripture and we use wisdom and we use counsel from other followers of Jesus to help us identify, there are clearly some things that are obviously evil, mm-hmm. right? And we've, we've named some of those. And then there are other things that, that Christians are, are just maybe going to disagree on whether they're evil or not. But that's where you just have to rely on a prayer and, again, wisdom and counsel from other people to try to help identify. But when we see it, we need to call it out. 
So what are the, when we're talking about loving our enemies and even loving those that we perceive as evil, what does that look like in terms of also setting boundaries? Yeah. And how, how do you, because I think that we want to have this happy, happy, joy, joy uh, perspective of Christianity where we're all just one big happy family and we hug each other and we love each other and we forgive instantly and forget and all of these things. <laughs> what but, family did you grow up in? I didn't well, know. Well, <laughs> I was a, a fairy tale, pretty blessed little family I've got. But, um, and maybe that's my shortcoming is that I didn't have a dysfunctional family growing up. And so I don't, I can't fully wrap my head around the dysfunction in the church (laughs) because (laughs) of that. Um, But what does it look like to love people without immediately jumping into it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, that's a great question. I, I, I can only say uh, I can be in relationship with certain people, even though they are doing evil, uh, without having to be co-opted by the evil. So uh, if I know somebody, I mean, let's just say, for instance, if I know somebody is trafficking another human being, I'm not only going to call it out, but I'm also going to say, you, you can't do that in relationship here. I love you as a human being, but I can't abide by this, right? I can't mm-hmm. allow this to transpire. Well, and I'm not going to turn a blind eye to it. I'm going right. to call the police. Right. I'm going to, right. if I know what you're doing. And those yeah. are the boundaries you're talking about, right? What boundary is, this is against the law, both ethically and legally, and therefore I'm going to do something about it. Now, does that mean I necessarily write that person off and I never have a relationship with them? I think it just depends on various circumstances, right? Yeah. Um, likewise, if... Um, uh, well, I don't know that this applies, but I'll share it anyway. So we had some church folk, uh, church members who were literally to leave, fly out Sunday to go to the Holy Land for a tour, right? And they chose not to go. Wise decision, right? right. But they were struggling with, golly, do I just not have enough faith? Do I, have I made a poor choice simply because I was afraid of what was, and I just said, look, uh, there's, faith is clearly an important thing here, but there's also something called wisdom, and understanding that, golly, this just may not be a good time to be going because yeah. it's a random thing that's happening and one doesn't know, you know, and now obviously governments have followed up with, hey, probably not a good idea to travel to Israel right now. So, well, it was the same experience and and not thinking about, oh, do I not have enough faith? Should I have gone anyway? Honestly, probably one of the last things the people of Israel want is to deal with tourists right <laughs> now. And that was the same with Maui, with the fires, yeah. is like a lot of the locals were saying, stop coming here. Right. We don't want to support your vacation while we well, are cleaning up the ashes life, yeah. of our home, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. And so I, I think that looking outside of our own perspective can also be helpful. Um, Let me give you another example that, again, is not as drastic as, you know, death, murder, trafficking, any of those kinds of things. So uh, another church member came to me last week and described a circumstance in which they, they'd been a 30-year employee of a company, and they were let go. And they were let go because of some, you know, new management who um, was intimidated by their 30-year track record, right? And so they maneuvered all kinds of this new uh, 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 management 
maneuvered all kinds of ways to get them out of their position. And quite literally, they, they, they weren't technically fired, but they were literally let go and offered a severance and all that kind of stuff, right? And so I, I would maintain that's kind of evil, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's certainly not harsh or, or atrocious, but it's, it's evil, right? It's, they, they've done something deliberate to cause harm to this man who was a 30-year employee. Um, at some point, this, the direct manager comes to him and says, hey, how you doing with all this? The one who's caused it, right? In, in a seeming guise to, you know, kind of make all well. And he said, this is what he said to me, Daniel, I, I learned from you and I learned from our church that a part of the way I need to process my enemy, is the way he described her, was um, he, said, he said to her, uh, I'm praying for you. Mm. He didn't call her an enemy. He didn't say, you sorry dog or you know anything like that. He just said, I'm praying for you. And he just left it. Yeah. And I thought, wow, okay. There's a pretty powerful way to deal with evil, right? Well, and I think that the way that we get caught up in evil, because that scenario, she probably didn't see herself as evil. The lies that we tell ourselves to be able to see ourselves as the good person. And we're doing this. Yeah, we're hurting one person, but in the long run, you know, we're, we're going to be helping so many other people. We tell ourselves lies to be able to sleep at night (laughs) to say, I'm not a bad person. Um, and just another layer of complexity. It is. Yeah. Let let me ask, I, I just have one final question. You mentioned at the top of this episode, you don't like talking about evil. Mm. Now it feels like there's one extreme or the other within churches. Either churches love talking <laughs> about evil and they're talking about it every single Sunday, or it's not really talked about at all. Where do you think that that big divide is? And why is it that you're more on the side of, I don't think we need to talk about evil as much? Yeah. Well, so I guess I'll put this one caveat. When I see and believe that evil is wrong, like, you know, we have in this church done several kinds of campaigns to help eradicate certain forms of evil, right? Like trafficking and hunger and and some of the systemic things that cause those things. So that's a way of addressing the evil, right? Uh, But what I don't like to focus on is the negative aspects of human behavior and evil being one of those. And so the reason for that is Jesus didn't focus on it. He clearly talked about it from time to time. Scripture identifies that. But it wasn't an overarching component of who he was. He chose to focus on, we're going, here's the plan, kingdom of God. We're going to move towards that, and yes, there's going to be some evil on the way, and yes, we're going to encounter some things that are going to set us back, but here's where we're going. That's, that's what I mean, is when we see it and when we understand it, we need to address it and face it, but I'm not going to spend either the bulk of my time or my energy on um, how are we going to get people from evil, I think that's what I mean, and and I certainly don't want to spend time scaring people because I think that's the the other format is um, let's scare the hell out of people, right? Quite literally, let's scare the hell out of people. I I don't choose to do that. Mm. Well, 
This was just the tip of the iceberg for <laughs> the evil. I mean, this, and honestly, for me, this can often become a circular conversation sure. where the deeper you dig into it, you just keep coming back around to the same points over and over again of the connection to the origins of evil, to free will, to all that God's plan, all of these different things. You just cycle around yeah. and around and around. Yeah. I like talking about these subjects, but sometimes it can be frustrating when you walk away from the table and you're like, well, what did I accomplish here? Well, and the other component for me as a one on the Enneagram is I, I want things to be right. And mm -hmm. and so I personally, and this may be now in hindsight or reflection rather, why I don't like to focus on it. I want it all to be right. I don't want there to be any human traffic. I don't want there to be any hunger. I don't want there to be a, a, a waste of water or energy or mistreating of the creation or any of those things. But because I want all that, I can get overwhelmed mm -hmm. realizing that I can't change it all or that I can't make it all right. And so it, when it gets overwhelming, I tend to shut down because it's just like, well, so what difference is it going to make? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not helpful. Well, and I have the same experience with a different motivation as an eight on the Enneagram, I crave justice. Mm. And if someone has wronged someone else and it is very clear that they have wronged someone else, I'm ready to go to yeah. battle yeah. and personally bring that justice about <laughs> if right. I need to sure. in my unhealthiest places. Um, and it, it's, again, it's the same thing. You get overwhelmed because God's justice is not the same as our right. human concept of justice That's and correct. fairness. That's correct. As you mentioned before, God's just justice rains down on the mm. good and the evil. Well, I don't like that. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, this will just be a subject matter that I continue to roll around in my head probably for the rest of my life. Right. I will be trying to understand it. And I'm assuming the older I get, the more evil I will come in contact with in this world. I don't think it's oh, going anywhere. Oh, the joy. I don't know. No, but I think that we we do find hope in mm -hmm. Jesus' teachings. And yes. I do like what you mentioned of, you know, Jesus didn't focus on this stuff. He acknowledged it. He addressed it when he saw it. But his focus was on hope, yep. on bringing God's kingdom here, on love. And so that's what our focus should be on. And we don't need to seek out the evil. The Indeed. evil will find us. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and we Good can thought. come back with love. Yep. 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 Thanks well, for that. Thank you so much, Daniel, for having this tough conversation with me. You bet. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.